for those who don't know who I am. My name's Kyle. Um, my family and I have been going to the refuge here for a year and a half. So if you've not met me, maybe you need to hug and howdy a little bit better. Um, but, or maybe I do. Who knows? Well, let's do that. Um, but uh, I'm excited to bring the word to you this morning. I'm excited to have our guests this morning, all of them. Um, I don't look like it up here, but if you rode a motorcycle in today, you're my people. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad... I'm glad to do this. Um, before we get started, if anybody needs a Bible today, uh, raise your hand. Got some blue shirts that'll bring it to you. I see a few. Um, if you do not have a Bible, consider this a gift for you from us. Um, and again, we're, if you're new here, we practice something here at the church called expository preaching. And what that means, if you're unfamiliar with that, is that we attempt to go verse by verse through Scripture. We believe that every single verse in Scripture is inspired by God, is important, and deserves to be discussed, Amen. even the icky ones. And we're currently in the book of Acts. And since April 30th, we've been in one story, and we're going to continue that story today. So, in case you've missed it, let me catch you up. We started in Acts chapter 3, and as we did, we started with Peter and John are walking to the temple, and there is a man who has been crippled for over 40 years. Each day, he's brought to the temple gate. He's sat there, and he's at, and he asks for money. He just so happens to ask the right people that day, and Peter and John are walking by, and they say to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. Take him by the hand, he stands up and starts acting like a fool. Um, he starts shouting and running, and finally, uh, he actually gets to go into the temple for the first time. And people are drawn to Peter and John because everybody knows this guy, everybody's seen this guy, everybody's passed by this guy, so they're drawn to Peter and John now to see what has happened. And they take this opportunity to preach the gospel. And 5,000 men are saved, according to Scripture. That's just the men, right? So it causes a ruckus. The Sadducees, the, the captain of the temple, the priest, have Peter and John and the crippled man, interestingly enough, you go from being crippled to being arrested, um, and, and they arrest them and hold them overnight, and the next day they put them on trial, and last week... Blake was talking about Peter testifying and, and calls out the men who are sitting around in the, in the Sanhedrin that day, which is their Supreme Court, right, trying to figure out what to do with these two guys. Peter calls them out. He repeats a phrase that Jesus says. When Jesus repeats a phrase from the Old Testament, talking about how they are, that he is, that Jesus is a cornerstone in which the builders rejected. In other words, he tells them, you've missed it. Jesus is the one. The one you crucified is the one that was important. So, let's pick this up in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I hope you uh, raised your hand if you needed a Bible, because I did not put this scripture on the screen. Verse 13. 
Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Kind of brings this story here to an ending, we'll get into a little bit more of it next week, but as we are, this is very interesting, right? Like there, there, there is, these men are put on trial for doing good. A few years ago, my, my girls were younger. I've got three girls. They're here. Um, and we were, and I picked them up from school. Uh, the twins were in first grade. And when I picked them up, we got in the car, and Kinley had learned something that day. I really don't even remember what it was, but she had learned something that day. She wanted to quiz my intelligence at that point and ask me if I knew the answer to the question she was about to ask. I'm not going to lie, there's a little bit of panic in my voice when she asked But so she asked her question. And with pride, I stuck out my chest and answered, just knowing I knew the answer, right? And this, you know, she's in first grade. Surely I know this answer. And so, like, I knew the answer, though. I got it right. You can cheer for me later. But as, and you know, like, I got it right. That moment was awesome. And Kaylee looked over to Kenley that day, looked her square in the eye. And she said, Kenley, don't you know Daddy knows everything? I love all my kids the same. Let me, let me preface this. <laughs> However, in that moment, she was my favorite. <laughs> sadly, she was wrong. Even more sadly, all my kids are now teenagers. And so I went from knowing everything to absolutely nothing. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, the question has been raised several times. Have we lost our awe of God? What's your perspective of the Father, of the Son, and what the Holy Spirit's still doing? So I've got this deep theological question to you this morning, and I have not started my PowerPoint. Sorry, fellas. I've got this deep theological question for you this morning. It's real simple. 
How big is your God? How big is your God? Are we living our lives like we have a God that's big enough to handle whatever? Are we living our lives in a way that would make Christ's greatness obvious? Do you view your kingdom more important than his? Let's look in verse 13 and 14 one more time. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. How would you like to be known as uneducated common, right? It's not anything we'd sign up for, but yet these men had been picked over before. See, when Jewish children are younger, the boys are younger, rabbis would pick the smartest ones, right? Those who had memorized the Torah fully and thoroughly and, and could spout it off at a moment's notice, these guys didn't make the cut. That's why they're astounded at the fact that Jesus calls them from their fishing boat in the first place. And so they've got no formal training, yet here they speak with revelation. They speak with confidence. They speak with boldness. Oftentimes, I think we think we're too unqualified to make a real difference in the kingdom of God. Maybe we aren't confident in our abilities. Maybe we're not confident in the knowledge of Scripture. If there ever was evidence that God chooses to use unqualified, unrefined, the flawed, look at Scott. I'm just kidding. Look at scripture. I would almost argue that the reason that many of us think we're unusable is because we're not in the word. The Bible is one story after the next that God uses people of his choosing. His choosing doesn't necessarily look like our choosing. He chooses those we'd never expect. And I'm up here, thank God for that. but they recognized something else about them, right? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. It was obvious that these men had been with Jesus. If, if you were on trial right now, would there be enough evidence to convict you as Christian? The Christian should stand out. The Christian should be different. The only evidence we have of salvation that, that, that the world can see is a changed life. That's it. They don't know the inner workings of what has happened within you. All they can tell is the fruit from you. John 15, 8 through 10. Turn to that with me if you would. Or just hang out and look at the screen. Verse 8 says this, by this, this is Jesus speaking, by this my Father is glorified, 
that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, I want to be very clear. Everybody hear me loud and clear. You are not saved by your merit. You are not saved by your behavior modification. That's not the answer. However, if the Spirit takes residence inside of us at salvation, which we truly believe he does, then change will come to your life. You will not be the same as you were. You'll find yourself having compassion in places you used to not have compassion. You'll show love in places maybe you used to get angry in. Would those around you right now have enough proof to say that you've got a relationship with Jesus? I'm going to let that set for a minute. Would those around you have enough proof that you have a relationship with Jesus? So know what happens when I do this, right? It brings up this interesting question because we struggle with this. All right, so all of us fail. I'm sure I've did it 15 times this morning, right? All of us fail. We're all flawed. We all make mistakes. Even as Christians, we make mistakes constant. And yet, how do I know if I'm just a flawed Christian who makes mistakes or I'm a sinner in need of a Savior? Like it's the question we have sometimes because uh, let's just be honest, some of us can develop doubt really quickly. We can start to wonder, are we saved really? Because I can't seem to get this right. And honestly, I have struggled with this part of my life as well. How do I know that I know that I know that I am saved? How do I, how do I have assurance in my salvation? And, and I've struggled to find right the answer several times. I've struggled to find exactly what, where, where to look in that. But I found a book that helped me more than any. I mean, besides the Bible. R.C. Sproul wrote a book called Chosen by God. And I think he answers this better than everybody. He gives four reasons to have assurance of your salvation. I'm just going to tell you, if these aren't true of you, then today you know where you stand. Number one, our assurance of salvation has to be foundational, that God will keep his promises. Therefore, I know that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, I will be saved. So the first assurance is his promise. The second one is the inward evidence of faith. I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't love Jesus on your own. You won't love Jesus on your own. You're going to love you. You're going to think you're awesome. Maybe not. Maybe like you don't look in the mirror and think you're awesome, but you're going to think you've got it figured out, right? Or you're going to think, I make everything about me. That's who you are going to be. However, when Jesus calls you, as you're in relationship, there is a love that develops for Christ. That doesn't come natural. The third thing he says is there's outward evidence. We should be able to see the fruit of salvation in our lives. 
And the fourth thing is an internal witness. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But I ask the question still, even of the Christian today, would there be enough evidence today for someone to convict you as a Christian? Brings me back to the question, how big is your God? You'll either live for God or you'll live for you. You'll either be a son and daughter of God or you'll be an enemy of God. Some of us are wondering why we are so miserable all the time. Might it be that we've truly not surrendered to the King of Kings? What kind of fruit have you received from him? One cannot possess the Spirit of God without having some fruit in their lives. He changes you. So, brings me to my question under my question today, okay? It's this. Are you living a life that is revealing to the world that Jesus is king? Let's look back in Acts 4, 15 through 18. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall I do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, so that they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Sanhedrin here calls them in and says, all right, We've got to figure out something, guys. We, we, we've got to stop this thing from happening. This has gone on long enough. The, the, the charade has to end. I don't know who's got the bright idea. I don't know who's the genius in the group, right? But this is what we're doing. We're going to tell them to be quiet. Not going to hurt them. Just be quiet. <clears throat> seems kind of weak, right? Like it seems kind of, kind of, Foolish almost just to tell somebody to be quiet. There's really no punishment here. So you slept in the jail overnight here. Like it, but, but still, there's really no, no hard punishment here. Why in the world would they just tell them to be quiet? Well, I think they have two flaws here that they try to get over. The first one is this. Their threat's really not a threat. No matter what they do to these guys, Peter and John, no matter what they throw at them, no matter how bad it is, no matter how difficult it is, they're struggling with what this is really going to look like, right? Because let's say they go to the extreme and they're going to kill them. To live is Christ and to die is gain, right? To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. If you are a Christian, there is no better answer than, hey, look, I'm checking out, I'm going with Jesus. Like, there's, there's nothing better than that, right? So is that a punishment to them? I'm sure it kind of felt like Jesus left them already for a little bit, right? Abandon, I want to go see Jesus. All right, so then let's, let's, let's go and let's back it off a little bit, right? Let's just say they, they, they torture them a little bit. 
But Jesus told them, you're going to be persecuted just like I'm persecuted. When you're persecuted, I've got you is what he tells them, right? There's nothing. There's no punishment that the Sanhedrin can do to these disciples that's going to stop anything here at all. All they can tell them is, would you please be quiet? I do that to my kids sometimes. Please be quiet. Number two, the second flaw that they have here. They think that if for some reason these men listen and are quiet, the spread of the gospel is going to stop. Sanhedrin have such a small view of God as hindering them from understanding what is really happening. The men were not what was spreading the gospel. The Holy Spirit is what was making things happen. Jesus had already told the Pharisees that this would happen if the disciples didn't continue to share the good news, that the story would still go on. Luke 19, 38 through 40 says this, Blessed is the king, this is the disciples speaking, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus' answer is interesting, right? He says this, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. How can you stop the creator of the universe from doing anything he wants to do within the universe? And these guys are so foolish. They think that the silence of the disciples is not strong enough to stop Jesus' reach. The Spirit is always pointing back to Jesus. He's always going to do his job. The Spirit is doing the work through men, but the men can do nothing outside of the Spirit. Nothing. If the Spirit's not compelling people, then we're wasting our time. Let's hang out at the Waffle House. Or not. I mean, let's be honest, the fact that you're here today is not the work of your parents. I mean, maybe they played a part in it. Maybe they brought you here even, but the Spirit's got you here. The the fact that you have experienced salvation has nothing to do with the preacher that preached the sermon. I mean, it could be the best sermon you ever heard, maybe by the most famous preacher you've ever heard. And yet still, if the Spirit's not working, it doesn't matter. It's not even the fact that disciples have carried the message throughout the whole book of Acts. I mean, we read the book of Acts, we see some awesome feats. We see it's the way that God uses these men throughout Scripture. He uses these men to create and do awesome things in his name. And yet we look at that and we think, look at all the work the disciples have done. But that's not what we should see. The book of Acts is not about men who accomplish things. The book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit who does the work. And the Sanhedrin don't recognize this. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we better. We better. If we fail to understand this, then then we miss what we're walking around with, right? If we fail to understand this, then, then I don't think we'll ever stand for God. I think if you realize that the Spirit's going to do the work, I think more of us would be willing to share our faith. 
If it depends on the Spirit, if it truly depends on the Holy Spirit of God, and we believe it truly depends on the Holy Spirit of God, then I'm going to tell you something that reassures you when you walk out of this place today. And when we call you missionaries and we say, go out and do the work, what we are assuring you is this. The Holy Spirit will not fail. It cannot fail. If the Spirit fails, then you... We're wasting our time this morning. We're wasting your effort this morning to get all dolled up to come here, right? Like you're wasting time, but the spirit never fails. I understand you don't have the right words to say. Matter of fact, I've got a sermon up here I'm probably butchering. But what I know is this, I could get up here and read the phone book. And if the spirit wanted to do the work, he would do the work. See, when you leave this place, when you go out and do different, I know some of you are like, what's a phone book? Um, <laughs> we'll explain that later, right? But don't be scared to do the work. Stop living in fear. I hope you get this today. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides within you, which means this. Understand what you're walking around with. It's not just a, a, a good feeling. You're not walking around with a good feeling. You're walking around with the member of the Godhead residing inside of you. If a member of the Godhead is residing inside of you, how can you fail when you go out? And I understand you might get some weird looks at, work, at your workplace. And I'm not asking you to be the weird Christian that everybody kind of avoids, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you don't, maybe you're already that person. <laughs> like, but there's ways to step out. There's ways to share your faith. There's ways to make a difference in society. And there's ways to do this if you are led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit because the Spirit does not fail. Listen, let me, let me, let me just take this further and... Um, might get in trouble. That's okay. I hope you understand that God is still winning. I hope you understand. I, I get it. Seems like crime in our area is worse than it's ever been. Here's the note that I want you to know, though. God is still winning. So Memphis yesterday, this is where I'm going to get in trouble. Memphis yesterday had a pride parade. And all the Christians shrieked, but God is still winning. There seems to be sin running more rampant than we've ever seen in, in, in our society, right? I mean, it almost looks like we are modern day Rome if you really study what Rome was when Jesus was around, right? Like if we could really wrap our minds around it, we'd see that it is evil and yet still, God's still winning. I know abortion's still an issue, but God is still winning. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm not in my notes. I'm going to tell you what happened, right? In the first, second, third centuries, what happens is, is, is amazing. Watch this how God, and Rome did not have abortion like we have abortion. Believe it or not, they didn't have the, the, the awesome hospitals. They didn't have the, the, the medical technology that we have today. They didn't do those things. No, they waited for somebody to have a baby when they had a baby. Most of the time, if it was a girl, they didn't want the girl. It's just history, guys. 
And the way that they had their abortions is they just put them out in the backyard. But interestingly enough, the first and second century Christians went out and picked up the little girls. And as they picked up the little girls, what happened was they raised them in orphanages. They raised them with families. They, they did things to, to grow them in, our fa- in their family. But you know what happened? In Rome, those little boys that they did keep grew up. And as those little boys grew up, they needed wives. And as they needed wives, these wives grew up in Christian families. And the wives converted their husbands to Christianity. If you want to see like Nero's time and how the amazing thing that that Christianity just explodes, it's because they're all getting married and having babies. God can take the evil things in this world and turn them around for his good. That's what he does. He can make a difference where there seems to be no way to make a difference. Jesus is the alpha, the omega. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is bringing the end to his desired ending. God doesn't need you to move his story, but in grace and mercy, he uses you to share his goodness. So my question number two, maybe, there we go. Are you living your life like Christ the King is winning? It determines if, how big is your God, right? Are you living your life like Christ the King is winning? Turn with me to verse 19. We'll finish the story. Says, but Peter and John answered them, "What well, is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than, than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Notice what is happening here. The authorities here are not trying to find, find truth. They're not even trying to attempt to disprove the miraculous thing that has happened. They're trying to hold onto their authority. Maybe we can just forbid them to speak and Nobody will turn against us. Maybe we can just ask them to be silent. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can kind of make them submit to our authority. Here these two disciples grew up under this same Sanhedrin's authority. And they're standing here in front of these men. And I love how it's said here, right? You choose. You choose if we're going to listen to you or if we should listen to God. I'll put the ball in your court, big boy, right? Like, you choose what needs to happen here. But as for us, 
we're not going to be silent about what we've seen and heard. We're not going to be silent. They can't do anything to these men because the, the evidence is standing right before them. This, was, this man was crippled for 40 years. Gate Beautiful is, is, is what we now call the Eastern Gate in, in Jerusalem. I only know this because I, was, I, I went to Jerusalem one time. And so Eastern Gate, it's walled up now, but it's right beside where, we, where the Temple Mount is now, where we, used, where, where we believe the Temple was at that time. Everyone used this, right? Jesus, we believe, and, and, and historically, we believe that when he comes into Jerusalem, on the colt and palm trees and, and everybody's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. This is the place that he's coming to, right? These men are seeing Jesus' authority take shape that very day. Then they create this trick to stop it from happening. The problem is Jesus is, rises from the dead, right? Like, they kill him, but he rises from the dead. He hangs out for several days. And they can't stop it from happening. They can't stop all that's happening. And yet, this same, here at the same place, this man is healed. As he's healed, this, same, this man at the same place, now Jesus is being elevated again, and they can't stop what's happening. So the only thing they can do is try to quiet it down. And what I'll tell you is the enemy most of the time cannot, or the enemy, not most of the time, the enemy cannot stop what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you. The Holy Spirit is changing you from the inside out. That's, that's the way he works. When he takes up residence in you, he changes you. And he cannot, the enemy cannot stop what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do. In you and through you. And as that's the case, all he can try to do is quiet you down. Try to quiet you down. Why? Because he wants to stop the authority of Christ from being elevated. So what happens here is they cannot stop it because they're seeing the results play out. That's why when you leave this place as missionaries, you go into the world changed and different because the enemy can't stop what the Spirit wants to do when the world sees the change in you. Which brings me to my third question. Now, I'm horrible at this keynote thing. Are you walking in boldness knowing that you're a child of the king? I like to tell stories, and so I'll tell you one now. It's, a, it's actually our story, and I don't want to embarrass my daughters, but we're going to talk about them for a minute. Jamie and I have three beautiful daughters. If you don't think so, you better not tell me. But we don't shy away from our story. We celebrate it. Our three girls are adopted. Someday I hope to maybe explain the, how the whole story come together. Um, but 
We love them so much and, and, and so much more than they ever know. We openly talk about it because I don't think I understood adoption into the kingdom of God till I adopted kids of my own. When they come through the doors of our home at first, they were unsure of us and we were unsure of how things were gonna go down. They didn't fully understand what was happening. I never forget the first time I walked through the doors after, after leaving and, go, and went to work that day and I come back that day and I open the door and one of them come running up to me and said, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. First time I'd ever been called Daddy. And I remember this uh, panic moment real quick because I didn't fully understand what had happened either. This year I was sitting at a uh, Lakeland basketball game where my girls were cheering. And one of them walked by on the back of her shirt. It said Chesser. Well, sorry, the last name's not better. Um, but it said Chesser on their back. And they fully don't understand what that means yet. They can't. They can't understand it. That name means they're mine. I'll never forget the day that we, we were in the judge's chamber and, and the adoption was official. He said this one phrase. He said, as if on the day these girls were born to you. Today, they become officially yours and no man can take them away. Them being mine means that whatever they need, dad's gonna try to meet that need. If they just call in need, I'm on the way. I don't care how far away I am, I'm on the way. Sure, I want them to bring honor to my name, but it doesn't matter if they need me in the middle of their biggest mess, I'm there. And if anybody tries to hurt them, they don't even know how, they don't even know the crazy is going to show up. <laughs> but also there's coming a day that hopefully they'll still be here and daddy won't. And in that day, what happens is everything that is mine will be theirs. Everything that belongs to me, they're heirs of. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to work hard for it. It's just because they're mine. Through my death, they get everything. Listen to me. When Christ draws you into relationship, adopts you into his family, things are different. There's a new name to live by. There's someone you can call on. There's someone that is with you at all times. The difference is when you walk in his name, he will never, ever leave you alone. The spirit is inside of you. The member of the Godhead indwells within you. The same spirit that raised this lifelong cripple up off the ground where he's running through the temple. The same guy. That same guy. The spirit did the work in is the same spirit that is inside of you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. If you're a child of God resides in you. 
And through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection and ascension of Christ, you have become equal heirs with Jesus Christ. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the one who holds it all together in between. Why is this important? Remember, so that when you walk out of this place today, you walk with boldness. You walk with boldness into your job where you feel like everybody else might, might not even know who Jesus is or just don't care. When you go into your schools or into your classrooms or whatever you're going to, when you go to college this year, if you're a first-time college student, my Lord, the seniors we had here the other day. But when you walk in, right, you're not alone. The Spirit's with you. Walk in boldness. The good news of the gospel is that when you call upon the name of the Lord and surrender to him, you will be saved. And then you're never left alone. Let's pray.